Good afternoon. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Today it's midday with the mayor. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott joins me on Zoom from his office in City Hall. Mr. Mayor, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for having me. Glad to be back, sir. So uh, let's start briefly. I'm going to speaking. Uh, I'll be speaking with Holly Arnold of the uh, Maryland Transit Administration in a few minutes. But uh, let me get your take on the light rail suspension. Uh, anything you you think folks need to know from the city's perspective? Well, I think I, I think I think uh, we know how important light rail is to citizens of Baltimore and people that uh, travel into the city. As I said uh, in my statement this morning, uh, we've been in touch uh, with the Moore administration about this issue and been working to come up with any kind of alternative solutions. But I think, Tom, it's very important for us to note that this is yet another example of the governor's predecessor's failed leadership. Uh, when you have eight years of disinvestment into M- MTA and not a- a- acknowledging and doing the things that need to be done, these are the results of uh, results of that. And we know uh, we need to figure out other alternatives because Baltimore's uh, historically underserved communities and ensure light rail services resume for them because they needed to get to work. Young people needed to get to school, and we already know the existing problems that MTA has, and we know that uh, the administrator is is a fabulous leader. But uh, we have to make sure that we're helping uh, uh, to recognize what has happened to MTA historically that has led us to this point. And we're going to be working with the governor and the administrator and the, and the secretary of transportation to figure out ways to do anything that they can to help fill the gap for our Baltimoreans who depend on this service. All right. As I mentioned, we'll be speaking with Administrator Holly Arnold uh, in just a little bit. Um, the homicide rate is down in, in Baltimore. Uh, 63 fewer people uh, as of today uh, were have been murdered in our city uh, compared to this date last year. 58 fewer uh, have been involved in non-fatal shootings. Uh, carjackings, uh, which a lot of people uh, believe are, are are spiking in a big way, um, are down actually year over year. Uh, the numbers I have are 641 uh, last year in 2022 by about December 5th. Uh, and here in 2023, that number is considerably lower. It's 522, but there has been a spike uh, in recent weeks. Um, there's still this perception. People have this notion uh, that, uh, you know, crime is still out of control. Um, how do you respond when when people uh, tell you that? Well, I think that what we have to do, uh, Tom, is do what you do. And that's do a job of, uh, on the media standpoint, of telling things as they are. I think that we know uh, that, listen, this is an historic uh, reduction for Baltimore. Uh, where it is this significant reduction, 20 percent homicides, being underneath 300 murders for the first time since 2014, Tom, while there's still way too many people dying, that is not something that we should just shake away and say like, oh, no, things are worse than they ever been. Right. We know we have folks that are creating narrative media entities and others that are creating narratives that, as you will remember, Tom, uh, when I was coming into office, all folks wanted to talk about was how we can reduce homicides and shootings in Baltimore and how we can deal with the squeegees. And now that we've been able to do these things in a comprehensive way uh, with the work being done by BPD and Monsey and our partners in the state's attorney's office, U.S. attorney's office, uh, 
developing our first ever comprehensive violence re reduction strategy so that it's not solely on the back of police that we're working with community historic levels of investment into community violence intervention building our group violence reduction strategy where we focus on those individuals who we know are the most at risk to be the victim or perpetrator offer them alternatives and support but if they don't bring down the full weight of law enforcement that's how we've been able to do that and we have to continue to tell that story no Baltimore isn't as safe as any of us wanted to be, especially me. Yes, like the rest of the country, auto thefts are up. And there are things that we have to do, especially working with our partners in, in other parts of government to make sure that we're dealing with those issues as well. Because when you think about that, when you think about uh, the folks that work for me, and in this case, that's just BPD and Monsi. Uh, they are doing their job each and every day. They are arresting people for carjackings. They are focusing and they're using the technology that we've been able to afford them, whether it be license plate readers on cars or where or stationary, using the technology of cameras, everything that they can do to make these arrests. And you've heard from me, you've heard from the state's attorney, you've heard from other folks about how we have to make sure that there's consequences and services both, and particularly when we're talking about young offenders, when you're talking about auto thefts, which of course are up every single place in the United States of America, uh, uh, Tom, driven by Hyundai and Kia, which you know we have a lawsuit that is going for, which we know we're going to have a clinic uh, going, but we have to build those systems because we have to understand, I want people to hear me very clearly on this, Tom, that 12-year-olds and 30-year-olds can't be treated the same. But there has to be accountability for 12-year-olds and accountability for 30-year-olds. We have to build systems of support, things that you and I have talked about for a long time, about what happens when young people are arrested early on for minor things before they grow into these other portions of portions of, uh, of, of crime and violence. And we have to build those in partnership with our state. I will say again, just like I said for, for MTA, this the, the lack of the ability uh, for for uh, our state agencies to jump so quickly is at a direct result of eight years of us having a governor who decimated the public safety agencies, who did not support them, who did not invest in them. And now that we have people that want to do that, we have to make sure uh, that we're helping and making sure that we're building that on all sides. Because you and I know, Tom, uh, no matter what, when homicides are up in the city, the mayor is going to get the blame and the responsibility because the mayor has to do that as the mayor. When they're down, we have to we'll get the credit. Right. I get the credit for it being down, but it's not down enough for me. And we have to continue to tell the story of Baltimore and how this is impacting everything else. Right. You just saw I know you know this, that you've seen that Baltimore's economy is outpacing uh, the state's economy is one of the eight is number eight for the fast, the best growing economy in the country. Even our economy growth is outpacing the country's growth. Right. That means you hear time and time again, you'll hear from these folks uh, that are just always down on Baltimore, Tom, that, you know, crime is awful in Baltimore. No one wants to invest in Baltimore. The economy is terrible in Baltimore. Well, actually, it's 
quite the opposite. We are moving in the right direction, and Baltimoreans have to uh, uh, start to jump in and believe on that bandwagon. When you see the investment, yes, we can't. We're gonna not. We're always and gonna let, focus and let, on. Let me stick with um, with the the car thefts because obviously a stolen car is different than a carjacked car. Carjacking yes, is a violent so. yes, crime, uh, and they yes, are sir. being uh, committed by very young kids, 11, 12 years old, and some of these kids have been arrested multiple times for doing Six, the seven, same thing. Six, seven, eight things. times yeah. to be exact. And exactly. so, you know, that's a whole uh, conversation about what happens in the Department of Juvenile Services, what happens in the state's attorney's office, what happens in the prosecutorial process. But when it comes to the stolen cars, uh, and again, they are uh, way up. There are more than 10,000 so far this year. Cars have been stolen. Uh, and Hyundai and Kia account for nearly 70% of those cars because there's TikTok videos out there showing people how to steal those cars in 30 seconds. Um, you've got a number of uh, initiatives to try to address that. You've handed out anti-theft devices, the wheel locks. Uh, you've got, uh, you mentioned license plate recognition technology. Ta- talk about the car tag program. You've talked about that. Uh, there are these uh, little tiles and tags that you can actually uh, implant, you know, put on the car, which tracks it uh, when it is stolen or any any time. Um, has the city uh, modeled that program uh, on any other program? I've heard, for example, that Washington, D.C. is doing that. Uh, is there success there that can be uh, drawn from here in Baltimore? What have we spent on it so far? Uh, is that is that part of the strategy? Yes. Yes, it is part of the strategy. And we'll be we'll be talking about that publicly, uh, Tom, in the weeks to come. We can't we, we you know, this is very sensitive information. We can't do that just yet. But yes, uh, uh, because I am very close with the mayor of D.C., her and I talk uh, consistently about everything, including what, what our cities are facing and try to offer solutions for each other. Uh, you will see in D.C. They, they mirrored what we did with our juvenile curfew this summer in D.C., uh, the way that we handle it. They, they implemented that shortly after and talking with her about many things. We did talk about the air tax. And that's just a part of what we're doing. I think it's important to note that we didn't just wait. This isn't just new stuff. We've been working on these things from the the jump, right? And we know, as you said, Honda and Kia make up 70%, which is why uh, myself and mayors around the country are suing them because I want to reiterate your point and make it very clear to your listeners and Baltimoreans that they knew once this video went out where this young person showed the world that they could steal their cars with a USB port that you put files and documents on for work within seconds and that video went viral, that is what ignited the flame for the entire country to be grappling with this big uh, auto auto theft increase. And this is why we're, we're pursuing the legal route, which is why we've been able to do things. And they're going to be having a clinic. Uh, Honda is having a clinic December the 5th. 15th through 17th at M&T Bank Stadium for folks to come and get the system upgrades to be able to prevent the vehicles. Because yeah, the waiting list for mass. the system upgrades, uh, you know, if you take it to your regular Hyundai or Kia dealer, uh, oftentimes you're told it's a six to eight month wait. You're saying that Hyundai is going to have uh, enough yep. software that they'll be able to install at M&T be- Bank. Mm-hmm. Yep, they're going to do a clinic. We work with them to get a clinic December the 15th uh, through the 17th at M&T Bank 
stadium. You don't have to worry about with the Ravens are away. You don't have to worry about it there. But we're going to continue to make the arrest too. And also, Tom, I think it's very important that uh, when we're making these arrests, and there there are folks that have we've arrested multiple times, uh, that is being risen up to the level of myself and the police commissioner, and we indeed are raising that up to our partners at the state and other parts. I know the state's attorney is also doing the same thing and raising it up so that we help them understand how important the issue is because we don't i know you 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 saw a few weeks ago where there was a young man who was shot and killed right who was out committing auto thefts and carjackings and he we had arrested him before he was involved in one with this with the shooting of a police officer and you know i lost my cool a little bit because yes that young man would be in jail but he would be alive with the ability to be rehabilitated. And I think that is really the critical thing. This is not a thing where the police are not doing their jobs. They're frustrated. I'm frustrated. And we're going to be working with our state partners to try to fix any loopholes that we have. Let me move on to uh, a new system called the Be More Alert system. This is something people can sign up to get alerts about emergencies. Uh, you can get text messages, etc. cetera. Uh, what kind of emergencies are we talking about? For example, the, the E. coli uh, crisis that we had uh, earlier this year, uh, would that be the kind of thing that would go out on an alert system like this? Yeah, it's not just stuff like that. You know, water main breaks, fires, significant traffic things, all of those kind of things that you would have happen. Like, unfortunately, things like we've had, a Tom, like explosions that have happened uh, in neighborhoods that we had in both in northwest Baltimore. Those are the kind of things that we will put out there. Uh, we want this to, to folks to sign up for this because this is how you'll be alerted to these things. This is super important as we head into the winter because also inclement weather updates will be sent on that. Uh, we want to make sure that our residents are informed as possible. And you can you can just sign up by visiting emergency.baltimorecity.gov and click on the, the red banner that'll say Be More Alert System. Or uh, you can text Be More Alert. That's again, Be More, B-M-O-R-E, Alert, to 888-777, and you'll receive a message there of how to sign up. Let me ask you about the inclusionary housing bill that passed the city council uh, just a short time ago. You plan to sign it in January. You initially had some real concerns about it, as did the finance department because of the cost. But can you explain to folks what this inclusion, this package of inclusionary housing bills will do for affordable housing? Yeah, uh, like I said from the beginning, Tom, I've always been a supporter and my administration wholeheartedly supporting uh, inclusion inclusion inclusive housing and affordable housing in our city. And as I said earlier this week, it's going to help us overcome the results of decades of intentional disinvestment and disfranchisement into too many of our neighborhoods, particularly uh, black and brown ones in Baltimore. And we're working to advance equitable neighborhood development, support our working families and create vibrant communities for all. Now, there were some concerns and, and have always still been a supporter, uh, but we had some concerns of previous versions of the bill. They were addressed and I made it clear to my own staff that we needed to see uh, uh, and work with the council for a path forward, and we were able to do that. And we look forward to working with everyone. So the city, the, the city is going to be subsidizing uh, developers who build uh, apartments to make sure that they have certain number of apartments. I think it's about fifteen percent of each building uh, that will be 
priced uh, so that they are considered affordable. So if you meet the uh, the, the income requirements, you will uh, you know be able to to take advantage of this. The developers uh, will get then less rent from those people, but the rent they would have gotten if it were uh, what they call market rate would then be subsidized by the city. Um, you mentioned that the you know economic growth in the city of Baltimore uh, outpacing every place else in the state of Maryland. That's absolutely true. Uh, in the month of September in the Baltimore metro area, we had a 1.8 unemployment rate, 1.8%, way below, I mean, it's half of what the national average is, even though today the Labor Department announced that uh, it's 3.47, which is down uh, from uh, even last month. But we're looking at a $100 million uh, structural deficit for next year. Can we afford to subsidize rents for developers uh, to make affordable housing available? We... Yes, and we have to do that in budget in, in, in smart ways, I think. And when you think about, and what Baltimoreans will, will notice, that we've been affording to subsidize developers for high-end things for many, many moons. Uh, we have to work with the development community to do this because it is the right thing to do, Tom. And we have to, while we have fiscal challenges, we also have a responsibility to build a, a more equitable Baltimore. And we can do both. We can be fiscally responsible and create inclusive of housing in the city. Let me ask about the Hilton Hotel, uh, which the city decided to go ahead and build itself, you know, rather than find a developer who could do it. This is the big hotel downtown that's attached to the convention center. It opened in 2008, right before the financial crisis, took a big hit during the pandemic. Uh, The Board of Estimates on which you sit just had to approve uh, nearly a million dollars. Again, another subsidy for the Hilton Hotel to uh, keep it functioning and keep keep it going. Um, there are those who've uh, suggested the city should never have been in the hotel business to begin with. This, of course, happened way before you became uh, elected, you know, uh, to even the city council. Um, but but the the, uh, the 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 rub here is that selling it, uh, the city would uh, realize a big loss. But you opened up the possibility that the city would consider selling the Hilton Hotel to somebody else uh, because it has been a financial albatross uh, for some time now. What do you think? Yeah, Tom, I think that to your point, uh, I went away to St. Mary's College and came back home and there was a hotel uh, at Camden Yards. I think that that's how long ago uh, this happened, just to remind the the residents of the city. But I think at the end of the day right now, to the point of us uh, uh, passing uh, at the board to for, to for more funding, this is a city-owned asset, and we have to take steps to ensure that it's operating appropriately, right? And I think that uh, we have to also note that prior to the pandemic, the city was finally seeing uh, uh, in the green on the Hilton Hotel. And we know the pandemic wrecked a lot of things, in, including this. And the challenges facing the hotel are reflective of the changing nature of, of downtowns and that we're in a period of, of transition uh, as downtowns adapt. That's why you see me put forward things like downtown rise as we start to to reimagine what our downtown is going to be. And I did open it up uh, because I think that we have to be open to everything. All right. When we're talking about what's in the best long term uh, fiscal interest of the city and the best of the of our city and downtown. So we're going to be open to everything. But as of right now, and as long as we we own it until someone shows me that the way that we we won't own it that will benefit the residents more than us owning it, that's what we'll do and move accordingly with how we have to operate it. 
Um, when it comes to stuff like Downtown Rise, um, some of your critics have said, look, uh, the, the the things that you outlined for that, which included, you know, uh, sprucing up some streets and uh, doing some painting and uh, making signage uh, more clear, et cetera, uh, are things that are, are normal functions of government, that this stuff should be do should be done as a, as a matter of course every every week, every month. Um, how do you respond to that, that, you know, these things that are, are packaged as initiatives are, in fact, things that should be uh, the normal function of uh, the transportation department, the DPW, etc. Well, I will package it like this. Many of the things that we're talking about doing haven't been done in, in, in decades, right? So it can't be normal if it haven't been done. And what you'll hear, what you hear consistently uh, from Shalanda and the team at Downtown Partnership and others, that their partnership working with city agencies on the day-to-day stuff that we do, from cleaning and greening and all of these things, has never been as strong as it is right now. And this is not just about that stuff. This is the stuff that they're pulling. But this is about uh, the developing an action plan focused on bringing together all the voices of Baltimore on what, how we're reimagining downtown. When you think about the decades of disinvestment, it, it also includes downtown and in, in equity in so many in so many ways and depending on where where you are. And what we're talking about here, Tom, is making sure that we're inclusive of all of Baltimore when we talk about downtown, not just a certain segment of people, not just folks that are visiting or coming into work. We know that downtown has long been our long our fastest growing residential neighborhood uh, we we can do these things for example uh we know that one of the things we lifted up was synchronizing uh the, the lights right which is something that hasn't been done in quite some time for those folks who are saying well they should have done it well you i agree with them they should have they didn't i'm doing it that's my point um, when it comes to community voices, uh, will the community have a chance to react and respond to, for example, the Harbor Place plan that's been put apart, yeah. uh, put forward by uh, MCB Real Estate? I mean, they had you got some input before the plan was announced, but since the plan's been announced, to my knowledge, there hasn't been an opportunity for folks to to uh, respond to it. What what's going to happen with that? Yeah, actually, uh, we're, we're actually having a open forum uh, that we're going to be having at the Middle Branch Rec Center. I'll try to get the date for you really quickly, and we're going to be doing that. I'm going to have an online forum with Dave as well to take in, so there will be community. That's Dave forums. Bramble, who's the, uh, Bramble, the developer. We're going to be we're going to be taking that taking input for sure uh, all, from all over Baltimore, and we'll be doing that throughout the process. So thank you for that question. All right. That's all the time we have today. Baltimore Mayor Brandon Scott, he is standing for re-election. He'll be joining us in the new year as part of our series of conversations with the candidates. He's being challenged in the Democratic primary in May by former Mayor Sheila Dixon and businessman Bob Wallace, along with a few lesser-known candidates. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much, and happy holidays. And, cu- and coming up after a quick break, Holly Arnold, the administrator and CEO of the Maryland Transit Administration, joins me to talk about this suspension of light rail service. And then actors from the Everyman Theater and Everyman's artistic director, Vincent Lanchisi, will join me with a preview of the show that opens at the Everyman tonight. It's a new version of the classic Dial M for Murder. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 881 WYPR.